I told you last night I was going to preach a message tonight on why some churches are blessed of God and some just aren't. Just down the road from First Assembly in uh, Fort Myers is, uh, is a great Ford agency, huge Ford agency, Sam Galloway Ford Agency. It's the largest Ford dealership in Florida. It looks like a city. You drive into these streets that go through this dealership. Acres and acres and acres and acres. And as you drive down Summerlin Boulevard, you'll see these enormous blue signs that distinctly say Ford, 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 Ford. Now, Sam Galloway is a wonderful man, and he, he, he's an outstanding Christian gentleman. Unfortunately, he's a Presbyterian. This illustration was not perfect, but it's the best I can do. But let's just suppose that Sam runs into some difficulty with the business, and so he calls Ford Motor Company in Detroit and says, Listen, guys, I've got a real problem. I need your help. I need the expertise of the Ford muckety-mucks. Come down and help me. So the Ford executives get in one of their charter jets, and they fly down to Page Field in Fort Myers, and they go across Boy Scout Drive over to the Ford dealership. And even as they're driving down that road, they can see the big signs, Ford, Ford, Ford. But as they drive on the lot, to their chagrin, they do not see one Ford. Not one. They see Dodges. They see Chevys, they see Plymouth, they see Buicks, they see a couple of Hugos, but they don't see one Ford. So they're pretty steamed when they get inside to see Mr. Sam, and they say, Look, Galloway, this is a Ford dealership. Oh, that's right, gentlemen. Do you see the signs? Everywhere. Ford, Ford, Ford. But, Sam, there's not a Ford on the lot. Well, there may not be, but look at the sign. Ford, Ford, I've got the sign. I may not be selling Fords, but I've got the sign. I can just promise you those executives from Ford not only would not extend Sam any help, they would go about the process of relieving Sam Galloway from his Ford franchise. If you're going to be a Ford dealer, then you've got to do what Ford does. If you want anything from God, then you better be in the business God's in. And God is in the redemption business. Period. He's not in the building business. I hear pastors say, boy, we get this new building, folks will just flock in. You've got to be kidding. Everybody and their dog's got a building doesn't have anything to do with the building. We're not in the building business. Now, if you could just crank my monitor up a little bit, it would help preserve my throat here a little bit, Ray. Boy, I appreciate that. <clears throat> we need buildings because they're tools in the business that we're in. You couldn't build a house without a hammer and a saw and a plane and a level. And on the same way, you can't be about God's business, I suppose, at least in this culture, without a facility. But we're not in the facility business. We're not in the building business. We're in the redemption business. And the buildings are only used to help us in the business that we're in. We've got a big old sanctuary down here in Fort Myers, and about one Friday night every month, several thousands of teenagers come cranking in there for for concerts that only God knows what they say, and but people get saved by, by the Boku, and we bring them in there, and some of the saints say, well, got all those kids coming in there, and they get pretty rambunctious. That's what it's for. That's what the building's for. It is a tool that is to be used in the redemption business. I've been in broadcasting all my life since I was three years old, 58 years in a row now. I've been in radio or television almost every day of my life. We use television four nights a week throughout Florida. I'm on byline every day on about 320 stations now across this country. I believe in the media, but I'm not in the media business. 
I am in the redemption business. And if the media is not redemptive, scrap it. We have a lot of music at First Assembly. Dave Thomas is an incredible music pastor and, and worship leader. It's awesome music and a great orchestra and band and about a hundred voice choir and wonderful musicians. But we're not in the music business. We're in the redemption business. We're not even in the worship business. We worship. Sometimes it goes from 20 minutes to two hours. Who knows how long it's going to last. But that's not our thrust. Jesus said, ye shall be my witnesses. We are in the redemption business. Well, Brother Dan, everybody knows that. That's pretty trite. No, not everybody knows it. Everybody might say it, but not everybody knows it. It is incredible the percentage of churches across the Assemblies of God constituency that didn't have one solitary soul saved last year. And yet they call themselves Pentecostal. It's absolutely incredible how many Assemblies of God churches do not support missionaries. Boy, see, this mic went out again. How in the world can you call yourself a Pentecostal church if you don't support missionaries? I want to read to you some scriptures here tonight. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth, scattereth, say scattereth, scattereth, yet increaseth. Say increaseth. The increase comes after the scattering. Doesn't come before. There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is necessary, but it worketh to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Oh, I love that word, fat. Leviticus 3.16 may be the best verse in the Bible. It's right there in your King James. It says, it says, the fat belongs to the Lord. Look it up. Those of you who diet and exercise, you are grieving God. That's what I've come to tell you about here tonight. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. Now, when you go over to the 16th chapter of Mark, Jesus gathered the disciples together after the resurrection. And he commanded them. This was not a suggestion. This was a commandment. You go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be shall be damned. And these signs and wonders, the supernatural, the divine provision, the resource, the heavenly flow will, what's the verb? Follow. It never precedes. Most churches do not support missions because they say, as soon as we get the supply, then we'll give the resources. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says, Jesus said, you reach the world and my provision will follow. And you can pray until the cows turn purple on a whole lot of things. But if you're not in the redemption business, you're wasting your time and God's time. God is in the redemption business. Say it with me. God is in the redemption business. Boy, about the first or second year after First Assembly started to grow, I mean really grow, I'd have folks come to me and say, You know, Pastor, I don't even know everybody's name here anymore. Oh, get over it. Like Jesus said over there in the book of Acts, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, which will help you remember everybody's name in the pews. 
I had one man come to me, very irate. He said, I, I, I can't even get my favorite pew anymore. Tough. That's not what business we're in, the pew-saving business. It's the family pew. Well, pew. We're in the redemption business. God is not willing that one person perish. But a lot of pastors are. A lot of deacon boards are. A lot of churches are. Don't care that much if somebody dies and goes to hell as long as the business proceeds as usual. Now think this thing through. If God is not willing that anybody perish, and if Jesus died so they wouldn't have to, and if you and I have been endued with divine power after the Holy Ghost has come upon us to reach those people, then there must be some way to reach them. No, Brother Dan, there's not in our town because it's just a burned over field. It's burned over field. A lot of great people have come here and tried to start work. It's just a burned over field. God is not willing that anybody perish. And if you want the divine flow, if you want the divine resources, if you want the supernatural in your church, then first of all, you've got to take the first step, which is to take the gospel to the whole world. I want to shake you up just a little bit. We believe that we are a missionary movement, and I hear this all across the country because I travel all over all the time. Well, our, our, our district's just about tapped out on missionaries. We don't really know how we can get many more missionaries going here because all of our churches are just about tapped out now. Oh, really? I'm going to break your bubble. Penn, Florida, the district I represent, is the second leading district in the whole movement in foreign missions giving. We just barely missed being number one last year. And we are so effective at it. I mean, we are so committed. The number two district in the whole fellowship. I mean, we are so sold out to foreign missions that we average 22 cents per day per person to reach the world for Christ. And we're number two. You want to tell me we're tapped out? Christians who spend more for movie rentals than they do for missions? I don't think so. Besides, you can't be tapped out when it comes to missions because Jesus said, if you take the gospel to the whole world, then I'll give you a supply you never had before. Hallelujah. It is incredible what happens. When somebody catches the vision. See, we, we live on such a subpar level that when somebody reaches par, we think they're above normal. Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. There are more chapters than two. Read chapter 3 through 28. When you get to 28, you'll find there's no finito to it. There's no finish to the book of Acts. You and I are living in the unwritten, incomplete, 29th chapter of the book of Acts. And everything that happened in the book of Acts ought to be happening right now. But those people were in the redemption business. Oh, not the church at Jerusalem. It petered out real fast. The church in Jerusalem got so involved with a whole lot of things. Well, we don't know if we want those people to be Christians or not unless, first of all, they become Jews, etc., etc. And the church in Jerusalem died on the vine. It was the church at Antioch that set the world on fire. And at First Assembly, we style our church after the church in Antioch. That's the church that touched the whole world. About a year ago, I preached the district council in uh, Alabama. And I preached one night on, on how, and mostly pastors there, I preached on how we pastors operate with such a veil over our eyes, such blinders. Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. We only see in part. Our knowledge is incomplete. And so we make decisions based on incomplete knowledge, and we don't make very good decisions sometimes. And I said, oh, what would happen to a pastor in a church that began to see things as God saw them? What would happen in that church? 
Well, at the close of the service, a young pastor came up to me and he said, My name is Neil Kennedy. He said, I am the pastor of an Assembly of God church in Mobile, Alabama. He said, We run about 200. Would you come to my church on a Friday night and do a missions banquet? And I said, Yes, I will. I'll be happy to. Because almost every Friday night I'm doing a missions banquet somewhere in America. So this past spring, I flew to Mobile and uh, got off the plane, and Kennedy's waiting for me. I said to him, how many do you have coming to your missions banquet tonight? He said, as of noon, we'd sold 1,500 tickets at $15 a piece. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You only got 200 in your church. He said, that's right. And you've sold 1,500 tickets to the banquet tonight. That's right. I said, where'd you get the people? Well, he said, I got to thinking about other churches in Mobile that don't support missions either. And that's really most of our churches. They, they have a little thing they think they do, but they don't really support missionaries. And, and missionaries call and try to get a service, and the pastors hang up on them or say they got strep throat or have the secretary say he's not in when he's sitting 12 feet away. Oh, that doesn't happen in this time. All the time. All the time. Do you know it takes a missionary 10 calls to reach a pastor the first time? To get one service, a missionary has to make 100 phone calls. Did you know that? 100 phone calls. Think about that. Oh, we're dedicated to world evangelization, aren't we? Yeah, right. So he said, I started rounding up these pastors whose churches don't support missions. And I said, get in on this thing. And they caught the vision. So he said, we've sold 1,500 tickets. I said, where in the world are you going to have this thing? He said, well, you go out east of, of Mobile on Interstate 10, and you go right by in dry dock the great SS battleship Alabama. It's three football fields long. I'm an old World War II nut, and every time I go by that battleship, it makes the goosebumps rise on me. I mean, the hair starts. It's incredible. And surrounding that battleship are vintage warplanes from all the great wars of this century with American tanks and so forth. He said, we have leased that whole complex tonight. Man, we drive on that military complex. There are big searchlights probing the sky. This is an Assemblies of God missions rally. These big spotlights. On the speakers, this great music playing. Man, it was great. Big flags, American flags unfurled and blowing in the breeze. Missions night in Mobile, Alabama. So I got inside, and this hangar is packed. 1,500 seats have been set up. Now, this is not a rubber chicken deal. My whole insides are made of rubber chicken because I'm on that circuit. Just rubber chicken. You drop that drumstick and it'll just bounce right down the floor. But not here. No, no, not here. Not here. Because these people caught a vision. They had slabs of ribs, which is what we'll have at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You got that on your chart? It should be on there. And cornbread and beans and homemade pie and black-eyed peas and sweetened iced tea. I mean, it's enough just to make you slap your grandma. It was incredible. These, this feast they had prepared. I saw the biggest projection screen hanging down from the platform I've ever seen, and I'm in the media, been in it all my life. And they had a professional television crew in there. I said, what are you doing with these guys? He said, we're making videotapes to send out to the rest of our pastors in our district who are dead to this redemption business. We want them to see what's supposed to be happening. I said, you got any music tonight? He said, yeah, we've brought in For Him, which is probably one of the five top musical groups in all of Christianity. I mean, these guys meant business. So we started to eat, and For Him started to sing, and there was a buzz. I mean, there was an electricity in the air in that place. And while we're eating, Kennedy leaned over to me, and he said, how much do you think we'll get in the offering tonight? I said, a minimum of a quarter of a million dollars in cash and faith promises. That's just a given. So I preached on missions and took up the offering, cash and faith promises. When the service was over, I was greeting some old friends who'd come by to see me. And somebody grabbed my sleeve and said, Dan, the pastors want to see you backstage. And I walked backstage. And here are these seven or eight pastors with a stack of faith promise cards and money. And tears rolling down their cheeks. 
And Neil said, Betzer, do you know what the offering was tonight for missions? I said, no. He said, $788,000. There's no shortage of money. There's never been a shortage of money. There's just been a wholesale shortage of obedience and faith in God. Great churches are missions churches. Now, here's what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because I'm watching you. Yeah, sure, that's all right for you, Betzer, because you got a pretty good-sized church down in Florida. Listen, the first 20 years of our lives, Darlene and I pioneered churches. We went into places where there was nothing in northern Ohio and started churches. We didn't have a district to support us because the Ohio district at that time didn't even have any money at all. I mean, nobody was there to back us. Today, when I get ready to start a church down in Fort Myers, I'll have college graduates call and say, we're very interested in helping start a church. What's the package? <sighs> the package has a bomb, and if you come, you're going to explode. We didn't even understand that back in those days. Well, how do you start a church? I don't know. Every place is different. The Holy Spirit's creative. You go in there and you smell the air. You sense the way the wind is blowing. You ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And He begins to create in you. And that's how you start a church. Don't read a book about it. You'll spend years in misery. Just go in and do it. So we'd go into these little towns and start churches. And God began to bless. Now the first church we did, we'd been there about a year we had a little church that would seat about 150 people. And God had been good. We had 90 people. 90 people had been saved. Most of them baptized in the Holy Ghost. That was the nucleus of our church in this little town in northern Ohio. Our problem was financial. We couldn't make ends meet. This has been so long ago. Our budget, think this thing through. Our budget for the whole church for the whole year was $16,000. Not 60, one six comma zero zero. That was everything. That paid the mortgage on the church. That paid my salary. That pay, pay, paid utilities. That paid for all kinds of supplies. It paid for outreach. We had written into it 10% for missions. Don't do that. Don't do that. The tithe is for the local church. The tithe is to make you a strong church. And out of that strong church comes a river for missions that far transcends any 10%. But we'd written that in because I didn't know that. See, they don't teach this in Bible school. They teach things like hermeneutics and homiletics that you'll never use. So, so we couldn't make ends meet. It, it was really tough. And every week we needed about, uh, well, let's see, we needed $16,000, so we needed pretty close to 300 and some dollars every week, and we were taking in 200, 210, and we were getting farther and farther behind. So by the end of the year, we're thousands of dollars in the hole. And I, I would preach on stewardship. Nothing. Nothing. I would call, I would call Christian, uh, Christian stewardship, Christian finance companies, which is kind of a contradiction in terms. And I'd say to these people, listen, I need some money. I need some help. And they would say, well, yes, Pastor Betzer, we're going to come and help you, but we need a $10,000 retainer. And I'd say, if I had $10,000, I wouldn't need you to begin with. It's like going to a bank saying, I need to borrow money. Prove you don't need it. We'll give it to you. If I didn't need it, why do I feel like Colombo up here? Why? It's, it's a, it's a never-catch-22. So by the end of the first year, the church was doing pretty well, except financially, we're thousands of dollars in debt, and I can't stand financial pressure. That's why I don't have credit cards. I don't want envelopes with plastic windows coming to my house. That's why we don't borrow money. I don't believe in borrowing money for anything. So, I got sick. Really sick. Well, Brother Dan, we think you ought to be more positive. I'm sorry. I'm positive I got very sick. And I'm in bed. I mean, finances, bad finances mess me up. I can't handle financial pressure. So during that time I'm sick, which was two or three weeks, the first week I'm just sick. The second week I'm starting to get better, and God begins to speak to my heart. Now, this is what God told me decades ago. God spoke to my heart and said, now listen, I'm going to help you get through this financial crisis, Betzer, but you've got to do it my way. I said, I'll do anything you ask God. God said, fine. Number one, number one, 
I want you to have a missionary convention every year. I said, oh, God, have you ever been to a missionary convention? You look up the word boring in the dictionary, there's a picture of a missionary convention. I've been to a jillion of them. Missionaries got the slides and the little clicker and the house lights go out. Here we have a picture of a mojumbo garbo tree. Some more mumbo jarbo trees. There is a hut under the mumbo-jarbo-gabonza tree. On and on it goes. Deadly dull. I saw a missionary, my hand on this book. I was there. I saw it. Missionary clicks his little clicker. The picture comes up. This is a picture of my wife and our pet chimpanzee. My wife is the one on the right. And then there's always the obligatory final slide. Here we see the sun sinking into the sea, and the light is going down, indicating we do not have much more light in which to work, and what we do, we must do quickly. And the house lights come up, and all over the church, you see. Lord, let me explain this to you. The reason I'm sick, the reason I'm in bed is because we need thousands of dollars in the general fund at First Assembly. You know, missionaries, God bless him, and we're going to get to that. God said, you want my help, you do what I tell you to do. I'm in the redemption business. And the first thing you're going to do is have a missionary convention. I said, okay. We'll have a Saturday-Sunday deal. God says, no, no, I don't want a Saturday-Sunday deal. I want a missions convention. And every year since that time, every church I've pastored, the second week in November, a Saturday, Sunday through Sunday, is missions convention. And I mean nothing, nothing stops it. Nothing else is held that week. Our men's team is not playing basketball during missions convention week. Our young people are not doing car washes on Missions Conventions Week. I mean, nothing takes place at Missions Week except missions. It is sacrosanct because missions is the motor that drives the church. Period. Nothing interferes with missions. So the Lord says, going to have a mission. Okay. Number, number two, Lord says. I want you to have as your guest speaker for your first missions convention, Dr. Oswald J. Smith of the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. Well, I laughed out loud. I got 90 people in a whole missions church. You know, when Dr. Smith died a few years ago at the age of 97, Billy Graham preached his funeral. And he said, we're gathered here for this homegoing of the greatest missionary statesman of this century. Smith's church up in Toronto gave millions of dollars to missions when other churches were trying to scrape together a couple thousand, you know. Dr. Smith was one of the great writers. He gave us 57 classic books, some of them about missions that every pastor ought to read. He wrote, he wrote over 1,500 songs like, When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. Tis the song of the soul set free. Smith did this. One guy. The greatest missionary mind in the world. And God says, get him for your missions convention. I said, yeah, right, Lord. I'll bring in Sinatra to sing the opening hymn. I'll get the Marine Marching Band and the Scottish Kazoo. Yeah, God said, get him. How do I get him? Ask him. So when I was healthy, I wrote to Smith and said, I want you to come. And he wrote me back and he said, I'll come provided you do everything I tell you exactly the way I tell you to do it. I said, okay, not knowing what he'd require. So, number one, we're going to have the missions convention. Number two, we're going to bring in Smith. Then God says, number three, I want you to have a faith promise. Now, put your thinking caps on. You've got to catch this or you miss the whole message. I am not talking pledges. Forget pledges. A pledge means you are the source. You've got your conduit plugged into yourself. It's out of your budget, out of your money. It's what you can save out of your paycheck. That's what a pledge is. You are the source. Well, I want to tell you, if God is depending upon evangelizing this world, 
out of my resources, he's out of luck because I don't have any. I got four kids. I got four grandkids. I just had my, old, my, my youngest daughter get married last Saturday. Oi! I don't have any money. Just had a daughter graduate out of college. I don't have any money. I mean, I really don't. Silver or gold have I none. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So if you're expecting me to somehow salvage out of what I've got, and I'm as serious as a coronary here, then you're out of luck, God, because I don't have any. That's what a pledge is. A pledge is plugged into yourself. Well, since myself doesn't have any resources, unplug it. It's a waste of time. And take that conduit and bring it over here to a whole different source that says, My God shall supply all your need. Plug into this source that says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the divine flow, the divine provision, signs and wonders will, will follow. That's the divine source. Do you really honestly think most Assemblies of God churches operate on a supernatural level? You've got to be kidding. So many books on how to run a church, you wouldn't even have to be saved to run one. We just operate out of a normal mentality. That's why most churches are pretty pathetic. So unplug there. There's nothing there. And you bring the conduit over here. And you say, God, you're in the redemption business. I don't know how this is going to happen, but you've commanded me to get in the redemption business. Whew, I plug in here. You're in the redemption business, and you're going to have to be the resource, and you do it. So God says, I want you to have a faith promise. I said, okay. He explained to me what a faith promise was. I said, I never heard of that, but okay. God says, I want your faith promise for missions this first year to be $20,000. Remember old Costello and the Abbott and Costello movies, those of you who aren't real spiritual. When he'd be confronted with the real crisis, he couldn't talk. He'd just go, <laughs> remember that? God says to me, I want you to have a faith promise for missions of $20,000. I go, God, God, let me explain to let me explain to you here. Our whole budget, our whole budget, God, are you hearing? Our whole budget is sixteen thousand, and we're not making that. God said, "I'm not concerned about that budget. I'm telling you, if you want my help, make a missions faith promise for twenty thousand dollars." I said, "Okay." You want to explain that to a board? So I called this board together and said, "Listen." Listen, I've been real sick. <laughs> and here's what God told me. And those guys looked at me and said, let's do it. So we had Smith coming in, and boy, we worked hard. in the opening night, our little chapel of about 150 people was packed. People wanted to come and hear this legend. I don't know. I guess I was just expecting a, a motivator, you know, like I'd never seen the guy. I'd read his books. I thought he'd be kind of like Schuler. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice. Be glad in it. I like Schuler. Don't like his theology, but he makes me feel good. I preached a convention with him not too long ago, and I said, Dr. Schuler, I'd give a week of my pay if just one time you'd open up your telecast by saying, I've had such a rotten week, you won't believe the week I've had. I'll give you a week of pay. So I was expecting a shooter, a motivator. Hello, you wonderful people. You can do it. I'm going to build you. And on we go. That's what I expected. Did you ever see Smith? He's about 5'10". Weighed about 115 pounds. Looked like a cadaver. had a shock of gray hair that no brush or comb has ever touched. Thick, bushy eyebrows with deep, sunken eye sockets with no eyeballs in them. Just somewhere deep inside those eye sockets, 
fire on either side of his nose, his little bony nose. I never saw him smile. All the years I knew him, I never saw him smile. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, we are so privileged tonight to have as the speaker for our first missions convention, Dr. Oswald Smith. And this is what he did. So, who do you think you are? You get out of your air-conditioned little houses, climbed into your air-conditioned little cars, came to this air-conditioned little church sitting on those soft, cushy pews, and you want me to do a little pony dance for you up here? Who do you think you are? You make me sick. People's eyes look like golf balls, man. I saw absolute anger coming out of eyes at me, not at the loony bird from Toronto, at me. And I looked over at Darlene, who's sitting by the organ, and I mouthed one word to her, pack. We're going to be leaving here, hon. The man was cruel. He said, who do you think you are? You want us to come and entertain you and do a little soft shoe to present the gospel to you in some clever little way you've never heard it when most of the world has never heard the gospel to begin with. Who do you think you are? Nobody has the right to hear the gospel twice till everybody's heard it once. Who do you think you are? You make me sick. And that was the gist of the whole message. He just repeated it a lot. And when he was done, he sat down to stony silence. Now, I'm facing Monday night, missions convention, crazy man from Toronto. There's not going to be anybody there Monday night except three of us, Smith and me and Darlene. And I'm not sure about Darlene. I drove him home. I was so mad at him. I just wanted to grab him by his little turkey neck and just squeeze him. And I didn't speak to him all the way home. He knew it. He knew I was angry. And he didn't care. He didn't care. People like that don't care. They march to a different drumbeat, boy. They hear music most of us never hear. And if they irritate us, it doesn't mean that much to them, as long as they don't irritate him. So the next night I picked him up, didn't say a word to him <laughs> all the way to the church. Mm, I'm so mad at him. We got to the church, and the parking lot's full on Monday night. And one of the fellows parking cars rushed up, and he said, Pastor, give me the keys to your car. We'll have to park it someplace else. We had to take your parking spot. I said, why? He said, the parking lot is full. I said, why? He said, the church is packed. I said, why? He said, I don't know either. We went in the back way. I looked inside the door, and the place is full, and they're putting chairs down in the aisle. I thought... What is this? I pastor a bunch of masochists. Hit me again. Kick me again. I love it. I love it. I love it. I thought, well, God, you're merciful. You're going to give this old Looney Tune a chance to make up for last night. And I introduced him again. And this time there's no applause. He walks up to the stony silence. I guess the word spread. Come and hear this crazy man. And he was worse Monday night. Who do you think you are to circumvent God's plan for the ages? That of redemption. If you're not involved in redemption, who do you think you are? You make me sick. Tuesday night. By Tuesday night, I no longer sat on the platform. I didn't want people staring at me. So I sat down where you are. Because you obviously don't want people glaring at you here tonight. 
And for the first time, for the first time in my whole life, it dawned on me my responsibility to the world. I am a debtor. I have responsibility. When Jesus said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel, he was talking to me. And he was talking to my church. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to show that you believe this. And I want you to sell your car and give the money to mission. In the Assemblies of God, there are not a lot of things preachers can do without losing their credentials. Nice cars, about the only thing you can do. So I had a nice car. year before, I'd bought a gorgeous new Bonneville Pontiac. Man, it was a nice car. had a big mill in it, and it would run. When you tromp down on that accelerator, the nose would just and it went, boom, it was great. It's great. I think when I get to heaven, I'd like to have a little modified cobra, you know. You're walking down Glory Street, and you hear a guy, who was that? Oh, I think it was Betzer. That'd be heaven to me. So I got 24 more months on this car to pay it off. And God says to me, sell the car. God can't do that to me. I'm a home missions pastor. This is the only joy I've got outside of my wife. And sometimes. <laughs> so I didn't say a word. I went home. And my darling wife that I love so much. She's a, she's a blonde back then. Now she's all silver, gray, you know. It's natural. She said to me one day, you want me to... Your cars, your house your clothes. He cares that you're holy and he cares that you're obedient. That's all. That's all. God said, have a missions convention. So I called together some people out of the pew. Our church is very strongly laity run. I believe in the laity. Pastors, dear God, pastors, believe in your laity. Have faith in your laity. The church is not built around you. It's built around Christ, really, but it's built through your people. Ephesians says we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm the chairman of our board. I only get to about one out of every three board, member, board meetings. I'm the chairman of the finance committee. I'm into a finance committee now in almost eight years. Believe in the people in the pew. Believe in them. They're smarter than you are. That's why they're not pastoring that church. So I called together eight or nine people initially. Now there's 27 people on the missions committee. We meet every month, just like the church board. I called these eight people in, and I said, listen, we're going to lose our shirts here. This, we're going to lose our property. And I don't think God cares. But we don't support missions. We're not involved in the redemption business, and God cares about that. So we're going to have a missions convention. And I just began to build into them what I believe God wanted us to be at First Assembly. And they bought into it. And I said, now listen, you just... You just meet for the next week, and you decide a faith promise for missions. We're going to have a missions convention the first full week in November. You decide how much we should have for a faith promise goal. And I'm praying, God, if they would have faith for $100,000, wouldn't that be something? They know we're going to lose this facility. If they would believe, if they could believe for $100,000, wouldn't that be something? So the next week we met, and they said to me, Pastor, we believe God wants us to have a faith promise for missions this first year of $175,000. And I went, <laughs> what happens, pastors, is the people run off from you. They catch this vision. They unplug from here, and they plug into there, and they like it. And they will run and leave you in the dust if you don't. Somebody gave me a hat that's got about three or four bills on it. On the front of it says, I'm their leader. Which way did they go? <laughs> I remember the first Sunday I stood before our people out there. It looked like a BB in a box car in that big cavernous auditorium. No more people than we had. I said, I want to announce to you, 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 you. We're going to have our first missionary convention. 
And our faith promise goal for the first year is going to be $175,000 for missions. And the people said, Doesn't he know we're about to lose this facility? We're about to be foreclosed on. And this lunatic wants to give 175000 Who in the world does he think he is? And a lot of other things start getting blown up and shot at. But this is why we have the Holy Ghost. is to make us leaders. And to give us power. And God gave me a plan. And I didn't tell anybody about it. Darlene didn't know. Nobody knew because of that wonderful verse in Galatians 14.73 that says it's better and easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. So the Sunday before the convention starts, it's Communion Sunday. During that week, I had had a guy in the church who's good at building sets build a whole a whole African uh, village on our platform. We have a big platform. He built full-size African huts with a thatched roof and the palm trees. It looked gorgeous. And we had one of the huts placed right at the edge of our stage, which is about five feet off the main floor where the communion table is. I had it put there for a reason. So we only have six or seven guys on each side serving communion because we don't have any people. Doesn't take very long. I said, now we're going to serve communion. Please hold the cup and the bread until all have been served. And they start to serve. And the organ's playing. Da-da-da. Ooh-da-da. And out in that cavernous auditorium, I can hear, Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Da-da-da. Now they all come back up. And we give them all, we give all the servers the bread and the cup. And I came down in front, stood right by the communion table. And as I always do, I said, now, has everyone been served? And out of the hut, five feet up over the top of my head, comes a six and a half foot black man in full tribal Maasai gear with the paint all over him and the shield and the spear and he leaps all the way down out of that hut and lays that spear right against my nose and he says no we've not been served Back underneath the balcony, a lady stood wearing German lederhosen, and she says, We have not been served in Germany. Why don't you serve us in Western Europe? They haven't been served, you know. Most pagan place in the world, Western Europe. I had people stand up in costume that I'd put in places all over. We've not been served. We've not been served. Way back over here, a kid stood up with ratty old torn jeans, and he had on a leather jacket with the metal studs, and his black hair is combed back. It looks like he's poured a quart of Bardol into it. He says, hey, yo, preach. We ain't been served in the inner city neither, man. How come you don't serve us in the inner city? And our people are. And when that guy jumped out of the hut, oh, our carpet at First Assembly is gray, except for a dozen purple splotches where they went, whoa. And all over the congregation, I saw people going. I'd done the same thing in my junior high class that morning, too. I'd walked in. I had 65 kids in there. Normally, they'd sit everywhere, but I'd put rows. I'd put six rows up. I came in with two big bags of candy bars. I said, I love you kids. I want to give you something before we start. Went to the kids on the first row, gave them a candy bar. Second row, candy bar. Third row, candy bar. I went back and said, okay, let's get out our Bibles. And the back three rows said, hey, we didn't get any candy. I said, What's the matter with me? Went back and got the candy. Went down to the first row, gave every kid a second candy bar. Second row, every kid a second candy bar. Third row, every kid a second candy bar. Went back. Okay, let's start to study. The back row said, hey, they got two. We ain't got none. And there's starting to be some real hostility there. So I grabbed the candy, go back, give every kid in the first row, third candy bar, second row, third row, candy bars. Now they got three. And finally, when I got all done, every kid on the first three rows had six candy bars, and the back three rows never got one to this day. And they were torqued. I said, cool it. Now you know how half the world feels when it comes to the gospel. We keep feeding the front three rows and the back three rows get nothing. A bunch of those kids are on the mission field today. 
Out of that week of missions, and the thing just broke wide open. During that communion service, people came running to the altar. They were there till mid-afternoon, sobbing before God. Broke our hearts. It dawned on us, we're not even in the same business God's in. And we've been asking for His help. Why should He help us? We're not even doing what He's doing. And it broke our church wide open. And in that missions convention, the faith promise was $223,000. And it started to come in. Now, 10, 11 years later, our missions budget this year is $1.3 million. And it will come in. Now, here's what happened. There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. A couple weeks after the missions convention, now we're down to about three months away from receivership and losing our property because of the balloon note. I get a phone call. Guy says to me, you Pastor Betzer? Yeah. My name's so-and-so. Never heard of him. He says, I want to meet you for lunch. Meet me out in the front. I said, okay. Went out, Leviticus 3.16. Fat belongs. So I met this guy out in the back. He picks me up in this ratty old truck. I've never seen this guy in my life. He drives me to the worst restaurant in our community that since has been closed, so help me God. We sit across. I thought the waitresses are just slow here, but, but I learned later it's because their feet kept sticking to the floor. So we're sitting here at this table. And this guy I've never seen says to me, my wife and I started coming to your church during the missions convention. Pastors, deacons, listen to me. Every miracle that I've seen happen at First Assembly in the last 12 years is expressly because of missions. You don't have missions, you've just wiped out the miraculous. We don't have any money. You would have if you did what God would do. We had 60 missionaries in the pulpit last year at First Assembly. I'm not going to say no to a missionary. I'm going to say no to a missionary? I don't think so. God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here are these missionaries who've been commissioned to take the gospel. They call me and say, Pastor, I want a service. I'm going to tell them no. I don't think so. I got a thing about lightning. So any missionary that wants to come, unless there's another missionary booked in that service, they just keep coming. Sixty of them last year. Fifty-seven the year before that. I love missionaries. Jesus was a missionary. So this guy says, we started coming to your church during the missions convention. I said, that's great. He said, listen, I understand you owe $100,000 on your gym. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, I don't think you ought to owe $100,000 on a gym. I thought, well, what business is it of his? He's not a member of our church. Guy just comes in during the mission, thinks he can tell me who. I said, I'm sorry, but that's not our real problem. We got a $2 million balloon note doing the sanctuary. That's our problem. He said, I don't want to talk to you about your sanctuary. I want to talk to you about the gym. I don't think you ought to owe $100,000 on the gym. I'm starting to get steamed. I said, I don't think we ought to owe $100,000 on the gym either, but we do. It's the way it is. I inherited it. It's all you got. He says, well, I, I just am upset about that. I don't think you're, boy, I'm getting mad. Didn't sin, but I'm getting angry. He says, well, I want to give you something. So he reaches in his pocket and takes out a checkbook. And he says, do I make this out to First Assembly? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking every 15 bucks is going to help, you know. And he tears off the check and hands it to me. It's a check for 100 grand. I'd never seen a check for $100,000. And I remember I looked at it, and I looked at him, and I said, is this good? <laughs> he said, yeah, it's good. Now he said, Pastor Betzer, do you think, sir, that you could go down to Sunbank this afternoon and pay off that gym and make me happy? I said, yeah. Now he said, let's talk about the $2 million. He said, I can't give you $2 million. I said, well, I, I, I understand that. But he said, I can loan it to you this afternoon. I said, you got $2 million. He said, yeah. But there's strings attached to it. I said, like what? He said, like, I'm going to charge you 8.5% interest instead of 22% interest. Strings like, the first year you can't pay me back a penny of interest or principal. The third year you just start to pay back a little bit of the interest on it. Now, I said, this first year, 
eight and a half percent of two million dollars is one hundred and seventy thousand dollars i don't want you to pay me back a penny but you have to invest a hundred and seventy thousand dollars in staff do you think you could start to hire staff for a hundred and seventy thousand he said you need help pastor and i'm here to give it to you i said yeah i think i could start to find some people and john said and i'll help you every step of the way i'd have never seen the man except for missions well i just don't believe we can afford to be involved in missions oh you can't afford not to because that's the business God's in you want his help you want to impact the supernatural get involved in the business he's in I tell people in our missions conventions at the end of every year and last year when we took up the faith promises that that second Sunday in November it was 1.3 something million dollars incredible We've seen our church grow to over 7,300 members and adherents in the past few years. We've mothered a church just across the river, just across the river, three blocks away, across the river, on the other side of the river. We've mothered a church called Kingsway Assembly out of our church. It's running 7 to 800, has a beautiful new $2 million sanctuary. We started an inner city work downtown that now is the 35th largest Sunday school in the Assemblies of God six years later. First Assembly has exploded. We just don't even know where to put the people. There is that scattereth. It increaseth. And I say to you with all due respect, Pastor, Deacon, Board, Congregation, you can pray until your eyes are dry of tears for God's intervention. But if you're not in the same business God's in, you're wasting your time. I, I tell our people when we take up faith promises every, every year, when you fill out that faith promise card, you fill out that figure in there that says, as God provides, because that's what a faith promise is. Not as I can provide, that's a pledge, but as God provides, that's missions. If you really feel good about what you wrote, you feel comfortable. God didn't have anything to do with what you wrote. Because if you write down on that card what God told you to write, you're going to be awake all night long. It will scare you to death. This is faith. So three years ago, we're taking up the faith promises. We were approaching a million dollars about that time for missions every year. There's a young guy sitting back about here. His name is Ed. He and his wife have just started a new business. They're young people in their 30s. They've got three little boys. They just started a new business, and everything was pretty precarious. And Ed wrote down on his faith promise card $250. And he's waiting to hand it out to the ushers who keep coming up and down the aisle because we tabulate everything that comes in. We don't ever read names, but we tabulate. And the usher's just about to reach for Ed's card when he heard me say, if you're really comfortable with that, God didn't have anything to do with it. And as the usher reached for it, he pulled it back. And his wife said, what in the world's the matter with you? He said, I'm real comfortable with what I wrote. She said, what would you write? He said, $250 a year for missions. She said, well, that sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, but he said, that isn't what God told me to write. She said, what did God tell you to write? He said, $16,000. She said, then why don't you write it down? He said, I will. And he wrote, scratched out $250 and wrote $16,000. And he began to scatter. And I watched that precious couple as their business exploded. Just a few weeks ago in November, I'm taking the faith promises three years later. And I saw their card come through. Again, we never read the names, but I saw their card. Their faith promise this year for missions is 75000 and they're nowhere near the top of the board. I've seen young couples come in that don't have two cents to rub together who said, listen, we may be making our living in this or that, but that's not the business we're in. We're going to be involved in the redemption business. And I've watched God explode those churches. 
Now, what I'm going to tell you now will take me about 60 seconds, and you're not going to believe it. But as God is my judge, it's a fact. There are 7,300 men, women, boys, and girls at First Assembly. I do not know of one person in that church who's a troublemaker. Not even one. I don't know of one person in that church who digs in their heels.